Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Okay, so we are going to to dive into the Word. Uh, As CJ said, we're in a season of fasting and prayer together as a church. And alongside what we're doing with our our time of, of fasting and prayer, we're not just setting aside whatever food, anything, just so that we can maybe eat better or things like that. The role of this moment, and as so many people start a new year, they want to see improvement in their life. They want to see change in their life. They want to see this year be different than last year. They want to see God work in something that they know they need to surrender. And the best way, if I can encourage you as you are fasting and praying with us, the best way that we can do this is always to turn our gaze back on the Lord himself. To spend our time focusing on Jesus. And, and as we kind of move forward here, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews reminds us. So specifically, we're starting a new series this morning, and what we want to do is, is take some time to focus in on just little moments in the Gospels where Jesus touches ordinary lives like yours and mine. How's that sound? Does that sound okay? All right, good. I'm glad. The reality is each and every touch point with the Master in the Gospels has so much to speak into our hearts. You know, it, it may be that we're going to consider somebody like, I don't know how I, 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 you know, maybe fit in with this person. Trust me, as you dig in and you look at what Jesus is doing, touching people's hearts, he will touch your heart as well. There is so much that he wants to do in each and every one of us as we fix our eyes on him. And we all need to make contact with the King, right? On a daily basis, every single day, we need contact with heaven. I know I, I can't survive without that. So I want to encourage you, as we look at the touch points of ordinary people with the master himself in Scripture, there's an opportunity for us to see ourselves in the story. And I want to encourage you to do that more than ever before. Would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, if you have your Bible with you? Luke's Gospel is a little bit different than the other three. Um, He gives us his purpose right at the beginning of the gospel. He says, I'm setting out to create an orderly account. How many of you guys are like um, like super organized people? How many of you guys would say, I'm kind of type A and methodical, I might be OCD? You know, want to raise your hand for that one? Okay, Luke is your guy. Luke is your guy. He's like, I know there are other accounts, some of them incredible, you know, of of Jesus' life, but I want to create an orderly account, he says. I want to go back and, and really dig into this. So he, um, he gives us a, an incredible picture and with some very unique things in it as well in, in Luke's gospel. And he brings really more of a global picture to what's happening with Christ, which continues into the second part of his writing in the book of Acts. You know, that's really good news for us because we're part of that global thing that Jesus was wanting to do. You know, we're Gentiles as it would be in Scripture That global story that Jesus is launching into, that's the part that invites you and me into the life more abundantly that Jesus has for us. So Luke gives us the birth story of Christ. He gives us Jesus entering his ministry with baptism, going into the desert to be tempted, coming back with power from on high. And then in Luke chapter 4, Jesus returns from his time in the wilderness, and Luke shows us what happens next. We're going to read from verse 18 and 19 and 20. He walks into the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown, and someone hands him the the scroll of Isaiah, and he says this, Jesus reading from Isaiah says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me 
to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and then he began to speak to them. This scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. What's happening here? This is, this is the announcement. This is Jesus saying, here I come, and this is why. And in that, he talks about blind eyes being open, the poor receiving good news. These are the stories we're going to dive into together as we consider the contact points with Jesus. But would you pray with me as we, as we get rolling here? Lord, we're thankful. We're so, so thankful. Because you never stop trying to make contact with us. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter how many times we've ignored you. You're on our case. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see with brand new eyes how much your heart is beating for us. Today, as we look in your word, we pray that you would renew our vision. As we sang this morning, give me new vision to see things the way you see things. Lord, we pray that the, the words would just jump off of the page and into our hearts this morning. Lord, we want to fix our eyes on you the author and perfecter of our faith. Take us deeper in your heart and move us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Luke does give us a unique perspective on Jesus' life. And part of that is because Luke himself is a Gentile. He's an outsider. He's not even an eyewitness to some of the things that he collects the eyewitness testimony for. As a physician, he was used to being well-organized and searching out the truth. And that's exactly the, the passion that he brings to his gospel. He meticulously interviewed those who had been with Jesus. And he captures some really unique moments for us in his gospel. Some of your favorite stories are only found in Luke, like the story of the Good Samaritan, the story of the prodigal son. They're unique to Luke's writing. But here's the thing. Luke doesn't just focus on the teachings of Jesus, the parables of Jesus. He really goes deeper in how Jesus interacted with normal people, how heaven touches earth. Jesus didn't stop at announcing that the favor of God is here. He didn't stop. He, he went out from there, and Luke details for us how this good news came to the poor. So to understand the contact of Jesus with ordinary people in the Gospels, you have to understand something from Luke's Gospel. His intentions are made clear in Luke chapter 4, but... Sometimes we need to understand what he means by, I'm coming to bring good news to the poor. The poor. I want us to understand this today, because in Hebrew, as Isaiah wrote it, ani, it doesn't just mean financially poor people. It doesn't just mean those who are struggling. It means it's, it's more about the social standing of a person within the culture. The social realities of their life. People who were excluded. They didn't have access or standing. They were the have-nots. This is who Isaiah is prophesying the good news is going to come to. It even includes those, get this, whose choices put them in that category and that status. How many of you know that that's good news for us? Because I know where my choices have landed me so many times. Far away from God's blessing because of what I chose. Those are people included in the Hebrew definition of who is the poor, ani. But in Greek... As the Septuagint gives us, Potokos gives even a more detailed connotation. It gives us the picture of a beggar. 
a beggar. Maybe you've seen somebody panhandling. Maybe you've been stopped and asked for money before. But this picture isn't so much about the, the object, the thing that they're begging for in the Greek language, but simply this. The person recognizes their own need. They recognize and are humbled before others to ask for what they cannot get for themselves. These are people who know that they're outsiders. People who know quite often because the insiders don't stop telling them that they're outsiders. This word in Greek is used in the Greek version of the Old Testament nearly a hundred times, referring once again to a social position. Somebody who is humbled, and it brings out this idea of people humbled before God, realizing I'm unable to meet my own need, I need you. And that, that makes them people just like you and me, right? I mean, you and I would be included in this category. We might not be financially poor. We might be struggling in other ways. But this, this word, the poor, the people who Jesus' intention is to bring fresh life and new hope to, that encompasses so, so many of us. And that's why we can get excited about what we're going to read as Jesus interacts with people. Because God's heart is always for the poor. And God shows particular interest in all of our cases, in all the cases of the poor throughout history, in their care. Throughout the Old Testament, he's set up as a special protector of those in need in this way. So when Jesus stands up in Luke chapter 4 and reads from the scroll of Isaiah and says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to preach this gospel to the poor, he's picking up the heart of God that has existed from all time and saying, I'm here, you're going to see the depth of this now. You're going to see the depth of my heart for ordinary people who are excluded from the in crowd. God's heart is always for those who are marginalized. He makes a way, and his compassion never ends. As we're fasting, I've encouraged you guys to take a look at Isaiah chapter 58, where the Lord declares to his people, this is what I really want to see from your heart as you fast and call on my name. You know, if you've read that, you might be recalling a very clear picture, a very clear call to protect and love on the poor and those in need. That is all over Isaiah 58, because God's heart is to protect them, is to surround them, is to love on ordinary people, and even those who they don't find themselves in the cool crowd. What God wants from his people, from us today as well, is a heart that beats like his, with concern for the oppressed, Concern for the outsiders, concern for the foreigners, concern for the widows and those in need. Jesus embodies the fullness of God's heart in his ministry to ordinary, needy people like us. So turn with me the page to Luke chapter 7. There's a couple of stories in Luke chapter 7. These are stories of contact between Jesus and ordinary people. And the reality is, every one of the stories in Luke chapter 7 is Jesus interacting with someone who's an outsider. Someone who is a poor by this definition. In verse 1 through 10, he interacts with ethnic outsiders, Roman officials who are not part of God's chosen people. They were ethnically excluded. In 11 through 17, he interacts with an economic outsider, somebody who is poor quite literally, a poor widow whose son had died. In verses 24 through 35, he interacts with a very well-known religious outsider in John the Baptist who was not part of the cool crowd, and all of them had problems with his message. And the story that I want to dig into today with you, and look at this incredible moment of contact, 
is the story of a moral outsider. Somebody whose life didn't live up to the standards of God's holiness. I want to look at three hearts in a story that Luke captures for us. We're going to read from verse 36 to 50 here in Luke chapter 7. It'll be up on the screen for you if you're following online or on the Bible app. All the notes will be there for you. It says this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman's touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Don't you hate it when Jesus does that? And Jesus answered his thoughts that he thought were private but are not. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled a larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman, but still said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the common courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much much love. But a person who is forgiven little only shows a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to dive into this story for a couple minutes. And again, I just want to look at the three hearts on display. And I want to start with the setting here. Jesus is at a banquet with a Pharisee. How many of you know that's kind of weird if you read the rest of the stories of the Gospels? Jesus and the Pharisee, they always seem to be at odds with one another because basically they're trying to kill him. They don't like what he stands for. It's a little strange. The cool thing about this is a a very simple reality. You can take away from this no matter what else you hear today. Simple. Jesus is going to go where he's invited. It says that the, the Pharisee invited him. No matter what his reason for inviting Jesus to his home was, Jesus goes where he's invited. Again, that's good news for us because all we have to do is open up the door to him and he will come in. He might bring some correction with him in our lives, but he will go where he's invited. Immediately, there's trouble in paradise here though, isn't there? There is a woman. Have you ever snuck into a party before? Anybody want to raise your hand and be like, yeah, I wasn't invited, but I totally snuck into a party before. All right, there is no one. If you're watching online, you can be more honest than people here today. It's okay. (laughs) You know, 
maybe crashed a get-together where you didn't get invited. I remember I was growing up and I got invited to go to a pro golf tournament down in Akron at Firestone. My, my um, friend's dad was our family doctor and he was a deacon at the church. He somehow got some tickets to this, um, this golf tournament and he invited me to come with his son and uh, we had a great day. Honestly, I don't even remember what time we got up. I just know it was dark to try and get there on time and I didn't like that. But we walked the grounds and saw these golfers who I had heard about from my dad growing up. And Dr. Phil, I promise that was his name. It's weird. Dr. Phil, uh, he found this little path as we were walking from hole to hole. And he said, let's go see where this goes. And sure enough, we ended up on one of the tee boxes, on one of the holes, as one of the famous golfers walked up with his caddy. And it was a man named Vijay Singh. If any of you guys are golf followers, you'll know Vijay Singh. A very famous, very successful golfer walks out of the tee box. He just looks at us, and we're just standing there, like tourists. <laughs> just like, it was weird for him, I'm sure. And he said, you look a little lost to me. And uh, he was absolutely right. And he was kind enough to us, but we were in a no-fly zone. It was not cool that we were standing there. We were uninvited guests at the party. But we had decided, quite boldly, to see if we could go this way and see if anybody would stop us, right? We were uninvited to the party, but bold. And when we look at this moment that Jesus is making contact with somebody's heart, there's an uninvited guest in the mix. She's uninvited and identified as a sinful woman, an immoral woman. The implication here is pretty clear. She's a woman of the night. Morally, she has absolutely no right to be there. She's an outsider. Doesn't matter how she came to be in this state, whether it was her choices, whether she's forcing it, doesn't matter. She, it's not cool that she's there. And the Pharisee does a little bit more than just say, you look a little lost to me. He's not quite as gracious as Vijay Singh was to us. She was totally, perfectly clear on where she stood. If you look at this, she, she, she knows she's not supposed to be there. She's aware. Like 12-year-old me on that tee box with a golf pro, she's out of her element. But look at what she does. She heard that Jesus was going to be there. She goes anyway, boldly, and then she throws herself at the feet of Jesus. She humbles herself. She's in that position of a beggar, knowing that she can't do for herself what she needs more than anything, but she is not going to let anything stop her from getting to Jesus. She pours her perfume on him. And that is such a picture of total repentance. Total repentance. Many commentators believe that this perfume that she was carrying and, and poured lavishly on the Lord was a part of her trade. It was something that she used. And it was such a, an act of giving up on everything that was sinful in her life and pouring it out on Jesus instead. Her heart is on full display in this passage. And it's simple. Nothing, nothing, nothing would stop her from getting to Jesus. And she is very bold. Despite the fact she didn't have any right to be, she wasn't going to let anything stop her from getting to Jesus. I love this because she is not supposed to be there, but she has to see him. She has to see him. This is the kind of boldness that God honors. Over and over again in Scripture, we see him honoring people for this kind of boldness, ultimately because it's a kind of boldness that honors him. He says this is the most important thing, being with Jesus. And we're clued in next to the thoughts of Simon the Pharisee. And in his mind, he's saying, what is she doing here? 
right? He's put on the spot. Maybe, maybe you've never snuck into a dinner party before or anything like that, but maybe you've had somebody impinge upon your dinner party, and you're like, hey, why? Who invited you? <laughs> What's going on? It's so nice that you're here. Come on, we can be honest today in church, right? He is distancing himself from her every which way he can, and in his mind, he's got this running monologue with himself. Look at the language here. He says, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a certain kind of woman. She's a sinner. He's branding her. He's giving her an identity in this moment. For him, the lines are clear. And as a Pharisee, we know that he's probably quite used to judging and distancing himself for people from people who are outsiders, not worthy, unclean in any way. We've talked about it before. But the enemy... It's called Satan, the Satan, which means the accuser. The specialty of our enemy is very simple. He takes the sin in our lives, the struggles that we have, and he applies it to our identity. We've said it before. It's, it's not that you lied. He whispers in your ear. It's because you're a liar. It's who you are. It's not that you failed. It's because you're a failure. The enemy loves to do this with us, and sometimes he does it on a daily basis, and a lot of times we listen to him. It's not that you fell, it's that you're just never going to be good enough, he wants you to know. Sort of like Gideon, as we were looking at last week, continually spoke over his own life all of his shortcomings rather than what God was saying to him. The enemy is constantly doing this to us. But this is a habit of the enemy that we, as God's people, should never take up. We should never participate in looking at other people and doing as the enemy does with them and speaking into their identity the things that they've done wrong. That is, there's no place in God's people for this activity. Simon the Pharisee pronounced an identity over this woman. She's a sinner. She's an outsider. She's not worthy. Ultimately, there's a lot of pride going on here. He saw himself as righteous. She was something else. She was not worthy. She was other. She was poor by the definition Jesus takes up. Jesus, who always knows our thoughts unnervingly, turns to him. And what does Jesus say? He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Uh-oh. Right? Anytime Jesus, could you imagine if you were like doing something in your mind and like having weird thoughts and Jesus is like, I have something to say to you. I'd be like, no, no, no. Uh, I didn't mean it, Lord. Seriously. Can we go back? Can we go back 10 seconds and I won't have that thought? Right? I love the way Simon's tone changes here. He's like a dog with a tail between his legs. He's like, yes, good teacher. What is it? A minute ago, he was like, this dude's not a prophet. And now he's like, yes, teacher, instruct me. Teacher, okay. (laughs) Like his heart isn't so clear in this moment. How duplicitous, how two-faced of him in this moment. For all his moral purity... He wasn't even the one to extend even common customary, you know, delights to Jesus as he walked through his door. Simple hospitality, expected hospitality, wasn't even extended to Jesus. For all his moral purity, he wasn't the one blessing the master. He wasn't the one loving on the Lord. Like the woman, there's a crystal clear picture here of the Pharisee's heart as well. He is paying lip service to the rabbi he is curious about. He wants to examine Jesus. That's why he's inviting him into his home. He wants to see if he stacks up. He doesn't see himself as needing anything from this teacher he's heard about. And he believes that he has the moral high ground in the room, which blinds him 
to what is really happening with Jesus. And if we're honest, sometimes we tend to do this too. We're so fixated on our moral high ground that we're blinded to what Jesus actually wants to do with ordinary people's lives. Let that never be what happens with us. See, whether it's our culture of constant comparison that is fueled by, you know, constant self-affirmation of how good we look. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not as bad as that person. We love to compare. We love to look at how other people are following. There's such a clear contrast in this moment in Scripture that speaks and echoes loudly through the ages to our world today. Jesus is about to make it even clearer for us the difference between their two hearts, but the reality here, it's really simple. Both of these hearts were in desperate need of a Savior. Both of them desperately needed a touch from the Master, and the Savior was right there with them for whoever would recognize their need. He always is. Jesus is always right by our side, waiting for the blinders to come off so we can just realize, we need you, Jesus. We need you. And Jesus, the master in the story, he shows us the heart of God as he makes space once again for the uninvited. You know, Jesus had a habit in the Gospels of violating all the social norms and traditions and customs to love on people. If you read through the Gospels, he's constantly doing taboo things on purpose. And guess what? He still wants to do that. He will violate all of the social customs of our world to come near to you and I. He hasn't changed. He doesn't change. He truly sees this woman, not just all of her sin and all of her brokenness. As broken as she was, Jesus sees her and has tremendous compassion on her. Unbelievable compassion. And as nothing will stop her from getting to him, nothing will stop him from bringing her into the freedom and favor of God because that is what he stands constantly ready to lavish on anyone, anyone who will put themselves at his feet, who will come to him recognizing, I, I need you, Jesus. The story he tells makes an important point. It's very simple. Both need forgiveness. Both need forgiveness. There is no one who is righteous in the room at this table. Both need forgiveness. And forgiveness was sitting right there for them in the flesh in the person of Jesus. But the question he, he asks lingers in the air. You can imagine people thinking through it, sitting around that table. Both recognize it. Both recognize it. But will they see their need well, they see it. You see, the condition of our hearts is so important because forgiveness comes where there is first confession and repentance. Forgiveness is freely available, but first something has to be ready in our hearts. That doesn't mean that God isn't willing or able to forgive anyone, but you and I, like the Pharisee and the woman who made contact with the Messiah, you and I have a choice every single day. Every single day. His reality is simple. If you don't think you did anything wrong, you cannot accept forgiveness. Maybe you've gotten into an argument with somebody before, and you both think you're right. <laughs> Maybe something happened, and, and, and you didn't think you did anything wrong, and they're like, I forgive you. And you actually get a little angry about that. Like, what, who do you think you are? You forgive me. I didn't do anything wrong. Reality is, before we can have the forgiveness that Jesus promises to us, we have to realize 
that we have a big, huge need for him in our hearts. The more that we get sucked into the ways of our world, the more hardened we get, the more competitive we get with one another, the more unable we get to see ourselves truly with all of our flaws as people who desperately need forgiveness on a daily basis. Two chapters earlier, Jesus is eating with some other poor outcasts who are actually very rich, tax collectors, totally, totally uncool to the people of Jesus' day, total outsiders, but they were very rich. Some Pharisees come and knock on the door and look in and see them having this banquet together, Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors. They said, what are you doing? You're defiling yourself being near to these people. Jesus always took it as a compliment to be called a friend of sinners. Isn't that great news? They meant it as an insult. He took it as a compliment. He responds in Luke chapter 5. I'm going to read to you verse 31 and 32. What he says to them is they accuse him of being a friend of sinners and tell him he's defiling himself. He says this, healthy people don't need a doctor. I have come not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. Look at, look at what he says there. Not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they need a savior and are repentant. That's who the great physician is coming to meet with. Simon the Pharisee. What he didn't realize when he invited Jesus into his home is that Jesus was actually going to make an invitation to him. Jesus was the one really making the invitation here. We all have to learn to assess our lives, not by our cultural standards, not by what makes someone good in our world, not by our comfort and whether we feel good about this, because it's not going to feel comfortable to recognize you need a Savior, but we have to be able to have his eyes to understand we serve a holy God. None of us stack up. Romans tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we need forgiveness. We need a touch from him in light of his holiness. We have to be able to see ourselves truly. Are we saying to ourselves, yeah, no, I've, I've pretty much got it all figured out. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I like to think I do good things for people. I don't really offend anybody. People generally like me. Or are we saying to ourselves, I need Jesus every day? How do we see ourselves? Do we recognize that without him, we're nothing? The Bible is pretty clear on what the reality is. No matter if you've lived your life like this woman, for whatever reason, and you've fallen into some things that you're not proud of, or maybe you've been self-righteous like the Pharisee, the good news is this. We all still need the doctor, but the doctor is still in. The doctor is in. Romans 5.8 in the New Living says that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Isn't that amazing? Even when we don't want to recognize our need, even when we're stuck in dying in our sins, Jesus came and paid the ultimate price so that we could see ourselves clearly and accept his forgiveness. Jesus continues with Simon. Simon, I want you to look at this woman. I want you to look at her. I want you to see her in this moment. I picture the Pharisee recoiling with just looking at disgust, like, no, I don't want to look at her. She's not dressed appropriately, whatever it was. No, I don't want to look at him. She was beneath him, unclean, unredeemable. She chose her bed. Now she has to lie in it, but why is she in my house? She was not beneath Jesus, though. Isn't that incredible? She might have been beneath the Pharisee, but she was not beneath Jesus. And he promises her 
redemption that the Pharisee didn't seem possible for her. Jesus saw her, not just her sins, although he could obviously see those too. He saw her for who she really was, and he showed her tremendous compassion because God, God's heart is always beating for those who are outsiders, even if they choose it. The heart of the master is also clear in this passage that all will experience this forgiveness, all, and he simply invites us to come to him. He simply just says, come to me with all those things. No matter what's going on in your heart, no matter what you've done or ever could do, he never changes and his heart is always to make contact with us with his incredible forgiveness and compassion. His invitation is to come boldly like this woman. Sometimes we don't allow ourselves to come to him. Sometimes we don't think we can take that step. We're not good enough, whatever it is. But she comes boldly into a party where she's not invited. And Hebrews 4, 13 through 16 tells us this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Nothing. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He is the one to whom we're accountable. So then, since we have this great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest understands those weaknesses in us. He faced all the same testings we do, yet he didn't sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. Because God already knows whatever is going on in your heart, whatever your attitude has been, whatever areas you don't, you hope people never find out about, whatever it is, God already knows. Trying to hide it from him isn't the answer. He knows already. He knows our sin. He knows our hearts. You can't hide it. So many times as a pastor, I have this like weird phenomenon that I encounter where, you know, I, I just, I've been missing someone. I want to go after him. I know that things are going sideways in their life. And I'm like, hey, man, just come and be with us. Just come back to Jesus. Come back to his presence. And they, I get this answer sometimes like, no, I can't, I can't come to church right now. Too many things are messed up. In my life. I got to get something straightened out before I can come to Jesus. I got to like fix me before I can come back into the presence of God. God already knows. <laughs> You're not hiding anything from him. All the things you're not proud of, he made a way for you while you're still a sinner. And all of us constantly need his forgiveness. We don't get washed clean in some other way and then we're acceptable in his presence. That's not the way it works, scripture says. He invites us to come boldly. We'll never be perfect, but he wants us to go charging into the throne room where we can actually find the forgiveness that we need. Come boldly because he invites us to, knowing that we're never going to be perfect, so we have to trust in a perfect Savior. See, reality is it's not about our merits. It's not about our perfection. It's not about our resume. It's not about how many great things we've done or how many people we've blessed this week. It's about his grace. It's about his perfection. And every single one of us needs more of Jesus on a daily basis. Because every single one of us is totally lost without him. Totally lost and messed up without Jesus. But what matters and what the point of this story is and what the most amazing thing about the contact Jesus is making in this moment is, is the question. What matters today and every day for the rest of our lives is whether or not we will recognize that we need him and choose to run to him instead of running from him. 
or instead of feeling like, you know, I, I think I'm doing pretty well. See, something amazing happens when we hear this invitation and choose to say yes to Jesus, as this woman did. Our hearts get absolutely transformed. We get absolutely transformed. Not only are we able to see ourselves truly as we truly are, recognizing we don't deserve a thing from God. It is sheerly 100% His grace that saves me. No matter how entitled we've been taught to feel, all those things fall and we just see, I need Jesus. I cannot survive without Jesus. When we hear His invitation, we come to Him. We see ourselves exactly as we are. Sinners saved by grace, set free to a brand new future in Him. But something else happens too. We also begin to see others differently. We begin to look at other people differently when we respond to, to Jesus' offer of forgiveness. See, one of the signs of a life marked by Jesus is that all of the dividing lines between us and other people begin to fall in our lives. All of the dividing lines, all of the things that say that person doesn't get it, that person is an outsider, that person doesn't stack up, that person doesn't have what it takes, all of those things that we love to classify and judge and, and separate and bring division, those things begin to erode in the presence of the Savior. They cannot stand in the presence of one whose heart is for perfect unity in his love. Those things begin to fall over. We don't see others as less than us anymore like the Pharisee did. We don't identify them by their sin or their struggle or their wrong thoughts and attitudes. We see them instead through his eyes. That every single person you interact with. C.S. Lewis says, you've never met a mere mortal. You've never met somebody who's just a mere, another human being, or just a simple person. Every person you interact with bears the mark of God. They are created in his image. They are precious to him just like you and I are. And all of those things fall in light of what Jesus does for us. The call of Jesus in this moment, the reason he goes to this party in the first place, knowing as he would what's about to go down, it's a simple twofold thing that he's asking in this moment. First of all, he wants to give us his eyes, his vision to see ourselves truly as we are. To recognize our, in ourselves we all need him every single day. We have a need for a savior. And the second thing, he wants to shape us into a people of outrageous welcome. Outrageous, outlandish welcome for people who are not finding welcome from our world. Regardless of why they may be struggling, he wants us to be people that seek out the lost just as he seeks out the lost. That will leave the 99 and go after the one who is hurting. He wants to teach us to be that kind of people, to see others through his eyes. Jesus goes where he's invited. And when we let him in, maybe you found this in your life where you, you find yourself, maybe it's in a time of more prayer and fasting like we're in right now. You begin to say, Jesus, I, I want more of you. I want more of this. And you, you begin to feel more of his movements in your life. And when we let him in, isn't it funny how he tends to bring others with him? Like if you look at Jesus in the Gospels, it's like everywhere he goes, people are coming with him. Jesus is always going to bring others with him into our lives. And often the others that he brings into your life are the marginalized and the needy, and the people who you wouldn't normally rub shoulders with, and the people who you're tempted to just behind your mask every day now just kind of go, oh, they can't see me, I'm moving this way. I promise you this. If you ask Jesus for more of his heart, he's going to bring you more people who you probably wouldn't normally want to hang out with in your life. 
He always does. He always does. He goes where invited, but if you invite him, he's going to bring company. When we have him show up on our doorstep, we answer the knocking that he's constantly knocking on our hearts, and we let him in, are we going to let the others in too? The question is simple. Will we receive them? Will we receive them broken as she was in the story and love on them the way Jesus does, or will we kind of find ourselves a little bit more like Simon the Pharisee, like, oh, I don't should make other people uncomfortable in my house. I'm a bad, this is about me being a good host. She needs to go. Where's our heart? I want to invite you today. No matter what's been going on in your life, no matter what this season has been for you, I want to invite you once again to hear a call from Scripture. Come boldly, just as you are, before the throne of grace. It doesn't matter what's been going on. Jesus is ready to receive you. He's ready. We all need to be right where this lady is in Scripture, right at the feet of the Master, humbled before him. That posture, like a beggar saying, I don't deserve this. I have a need I can't meet in me. But I am not going to let a thing stop me from getting close to him. Nothing will stop me from coming to Jesus. So one thing maybe that we need to do a little bit better as a church culture is is understand confession. Confession. Maybe we think it's a Catholic thing, and I'm not talking about, you know, you need to get in a booth with a thing and a priest on the other side. We need to understand a biblical model of confession. We need to remember that it is not just, you know, confession is good for the soul. There's more to it than that. Confession and repentance is the important first step towards healing and transformation in our lives. doesn't matter how many times you've said yes to Jesus, all of us are still not perfect. All of us continue to need his grace on a daily basis. And we need to remember that it's good for us to confess the things that we struggle with. James 5.16 tells us, Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I've heard the second part of that verse quoted a whole lot in my life with no mention of the first part, which is ironic. But a righteous person whose prayers are heard, as James says, isn't standing in their own righteousness. They are made righteous first by being the kind of person in the first half, confessing and repenting, allowing God to cleanse them of all unrighteousness and fill him, fill them and clothe them with his spirit. Jesus wants to bring perfect forgiveness into every one of our lives on a daily basis. Perfect healing to all the broken places that we don't like looking at. But we've got to recognize first that there's a wound there. We've got to recognize that there's a need for forgiveness, that we aren't perfect and we do mess up before we can say yes to his forgiveness. So maybe you need to just find someone who you know is passionate about Jesus. Someone that you can be really honest with. We all need that person in our lives, whoever it is, that we can just let down our guard and be like, hey, this is me with all my flaws. I need God every day. Can I be real with you? Because I need to confess this. Maybe you need to find somebody and confess some things. I don't know. This is just things I I see in this moment with Jesus. I'm telling you, though, I promise you that the kind of healing that God wants to bring into your life, that life more abundantly, where you're no longer bearing the weight of those things, but you are set free indeed. 
That is ready, waiting for you here, right now. But we need to let go of the act that we've got it all together first. That act that we don't need the doctor because all of us need the doctor. All of us, we might think we don't, but Jesus says he's here and he's ready for those people who know they do. And he's so ready to shower you with his love and compassion and his forgiveness. Maybe one of the things that every single one of us needs to confess is how we've neglected to truly see others. Maybe we've identified people too often by their flaws and failures, and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody. We're taught, we're raised, we're shown how to identify and objectify people according to what they do. Maybe they even identify themselves by what they do. I don't know. Maybe we've learned to look at them as other, as not good enough. Maybe we've learned to compare. And maybe we need to repent of that today. I want us in a moment to pray. What I want us to pray, and what I want to encourage you to seek the Lord with is just simply, God, give me more of your heart. Help me to be able to see myself truly and to see others with your eyes of incredible compassion. My friend Dave Beering says it like this, God looks at you with eyes of favor. Eyes of favor. God, I pray that you'd teach us to see others with those eyes of favor. I don't know about you, but I want to come to the master and be teachable. I want to put myself at his feet. I know all too well my own nature is to be hard-hearted and completely stubborn, convinced of my own legacy, whatever it is. That's not reality. Reality is I need him every day. And I want to live out the way of love. What Paul refers to as the most excellent way that is only possible as Jesus renews my heart and my mind and gives me his eyes for others. Amen? So the prayer today and the message today is simple. It's twofold. God, we need your eyes and your vision to see ourselves truly and to see others truly. Would you stand to your feet with me? We're going to worship in just a minute. You know, if, if, if you're here today and this is speaking to you in any way, I want to encourage you. Pastor CJ and I, Dr. Shagun, Michael, Zahar, we'll have some guys around the outside, some ladies around the outside too, who if you want to pray about anything, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. If this has been hitting the mark with you somewhere in a deep place in your soul, as I know it's been hitting me all week long, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Don't let anything hold you back. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Follow the example of this woman. Don't let anything stop you from getting to Jesus. So come and find us, someone at the sides today and pray with us. And if you're watching online, you can, you can click on that link that says, I need prayer. Let's hold nothing back from Jesus today, amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. And we thank you for the word made flesh. Jesus, our Savior, who came to walk amongst us teach us these things, to set the perfect example for us in all things. Father, we pray that you would help us to hear your call clearly today. Pray that you'd help us to see ourselves truly and how every hour I need you, sometimes every second I need you. God, I want us to simply be aware. I pray that you would make us aware because you're a holy God. You're a holy God. We don't deserve to be able to come to you. Nothing we could ever do could earn a single moment of your attention, but you give it so freely. How amazing you are. How amazing you are. We simply want to come and place ourselves at your feet today. 
would you receive us, I pray. We're humbled by your mercy. We want to pour out our love back on you like this woman. Anything that held us back, Lord, we want to spend it lavishly on you to honor you for who you are in our lives today. God, if there are things that need to be confessed, I pray that you bring everything to the surface the way that you, you alone can, Holy Spirit. Come and put your finger on some things in our lives. Don't let us walk away and carry burdens, but burden our hearts to come to you, to come to the throne of grace and receive forgiveness today, to give things over to you so that you can heal us and teach us to walk a totally free life with you. Pray that you'd also teach us to see others through totally different eyes. Help us to realize we've never met a mere mortal person. Every single person we meet is created in your image, is incredibly loved, cherished by you just as we are. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us. Come and teach us. We come today to glorify you. We pray, give us your vision to see things as you do. Give us your wisdom because we know we need it, Lord. Give us your righteousness because our righteousness is like filthy rags. Father, we need more of you. We need more of you. Thank you that you never disappoint, that your heart has always been for the poor and the needy, those who need a doctor like me. I come to you, Lord. I seek your face. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.